Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1, O-U-T-D-O-O-R, and the number one. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. Okay, here we go. Back with another episode of the Pennsylvania Woodsman. And uh, thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, This is a special one this week, not just because of the guest we have, but um, this week we are introducing our new Um, co-host. What do you say, Robbie? Hey, Mitchell. Uh, Thanks for having me join on and having me jump aboard here. Uh, My name's Robbie Henney. Uh, Mitchell and I have... I've known each other for a while now, same high school and long time, yeah. Yep, long time and I I'm just excited to to join forces here and and not just learn from Mitchell and learn from some of the guys talking, but but uh just uh kind of learn w- what I need to do and how to get better in the woods and be better mainly in in the off season when it comes to preparing for the hunts and and uh, just asking guys questions. Some guys that we have on here I might not have ever heard of or I might not know much about the topic we're talking about, but I'm just excited to to jump aboard here. Yeah, I'm real excited to have you too, and I think it's a it's a great opportunity for both of us. I mean, you know, we this was a, this was kind of a long process into making here, but you know, I uh I was debating back and forth having somebody come on and of all the people I I was considering um you know Robbie was a great candidate so just to kind of you know give you that little bit of personal information um I've known Robbie since we're in uh, middle school I played football with Robbie and uh <laughs> Robbie the 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 poor SOB that he is is engaged to my sisters of all people so you know I'm, I'm gonna razz him for no end for that so um here in uh what is the timeline now for you? You're down to like a month and a half or something like yep, that? Yep, month and a half until until the wedding. Um, so we still got a month and yeah. a half where we can convince him to maybe not make yeah. that decision. No, I'm just kidding, Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, we've known each other for a long time. And, uh, you know, you're uh, you're avid into sports. Oh, um, yeah. But you're, yeah. you've definitely grown in, in interest in hunting. But, you know, this is something that real fits you real well because you're interested in, in it just as much as anybody. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've my my passion, I guess I can call it. I mean, some I don't know what the level of passion is, but my passion for hunting comes 100% from my dad. I mean, he's the biggest hunter I know, most knowledgeable guy I know about basically everything to do with hunting. So, yeah. I learned everything from him and uh like you said, I'm really big into sports. So, growing up, especially in middle school, high school and into college i uh i didn't get out into the woods as much as i wanted to but now since i graduated school about two years ago coming up on three years ago i've been able to now you get out as much as hannah lets you yeah yeah now (laughs) i get out but now it was it was just i think uh especially deer season i'm i think my favorite is is hunting deer not just archie but i love rifle season too and uh 
the first first two years out of school, it was kind of a a shock. I don't know if shock's the right word, but it was kind of a, a little bit an eye opener because I was able to get get out yeah. so much more. And one year I got out, barely saw any deer, but I was out the most in the woods. And then the next year, got out a lot and saw tons of deer, but didn't get any. So it was just, I, I'm just excited to sort of get life going here and, and settle down. And yeah, just uh, just finally got your acceptance on a, on a new house yep. here. You yeah, and, and your that's... wife-to-be are going to be homeowners soon. Oh, yeah. And that's already uh, a, lot of, a lot of signatures in that already. A lot yeah. of... A lot of handwriting in that. So you're no stranger, you know. I've I've been kind of venting these past few weeks about uh, just the craziness of life with family, and you know, uh, my wife's you know ready to have our son at any point here. We had a false alarm this past week, but uh, you know, Robbie Robbie fits real well here just because you know he's he's an everyday sportsman like us. And you know, you brought up your dad. You know, your dad's a guy that you know I would love to pick his brain sometime on here he's probably yeah. one of them guys that would be like nah i don't want to do something like that but there's a wealth of knowledge in that guy's head yeah and i'm i'm sure we can convince him too especially if we get a couple of his uh his fellow hunters together and and have a little round table or something like that but yeah he uh like i said he he supplies me with knowledge of everything and mm-hmm. every year reminds me of the same thing over and over and sometimes i i think oh i've heard this already but it's true a lot Ninety nine percent of the stuff that he says I've encountered in the woods or yeah. or know I will encounter. So And that's what's great about doing what we do here. Uh, you know, this is a great opportunity for us to learn from from everybody that we get to talk to and, you know, share the information that we know. You know, you're uh you know, we, you've been, you guys have, this is year two, you guys uh, kind of joined in with the group hunt that we do in rifle season up at uh, our camp in Lycoming. And, uh, you know, you, that's first of all it's a fun hunt because we get together with you know a group of 20 guys make some drives deer seasons open bear seasons open we've had some success there but what i love about it is you know i i kind of run that but at the same time you know your dad's part of it your uncle stan's part of it and you know um, we got some other guys that are that are part of it in our camp and we got a lot of great minds that we can collaborate with and and learn from and uh, it's been fun. But you shot your first buck with a bow this past year, didn't you? Yep. Yes, I did. Uh, not only with a bow, but first one up uh, up in our cabin up up in Tioga County. So that was exciting. That was uh, quite the ordeal, too. Oh. You were uh, you were flinging arrows this morning. Oh, Tell yeah. me about that morning. Well, I'll probably start. So I shot it Friday morning, November of last year. Yeah. Uh, the exact date, I forget. But went up Thursday night, me and my brother, my dad, and my one cousin. My cousin was up all all week, and he was seeing mm. buck constantly. Yeah, that was a week we were up too. We yeah. saw a lot that week. And so we got up there, and Friday morning, sat in I think the same spot I usually sit every year. Um, and I wasn't expecting to see much. You don't see a whole lot up there, and I didn't do any scouting or anything. Everything was what my cousins have said, what they scouted, and around nine o'clock. This is Friday morning now, around 9 o'clock. My brother comes over the radio and says, Robbie, I just got one. And I was like, oh, cool, all right, just sit. Do you think you hit it well? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I think I did. I think I saw it fall. I said, all right, well, just sit for about an hour yet, and I'm going to see if I can see anything, and I'll come over and help you out. Well, not even five minutes go by, and, and I hear some crashing coming through. I get ready. 
and here some come some uh some coyotes like oh here they come so it, just by luck they happened to come right over to me and 15 yards boom able to get a coyote so that was first first kill was with a coyote was a coyote with my bow yeah first first bow kill yeah saying. first yeah. bow kill was a coyote and then uh which the, isn't somebody something everybody gets no, a chance that's at that I, early, and it, especially it just, where you're at exactly and it just happened to be quick and able to draw my bow back they it stopped for some reason i think i made just a high pitched noise and i i got it so my brother and i both got uh, i got a cody he got a buck that morning saturday morning next morning i sit in the same stand as my brother was just in the morning before and uh and small buck came through around 9 a.m let it pass and about half an hour later i was ready to get down out of my stand uh we were heading home that day and and here comes another buck and i thought oh that's a pretty decent buck well he comes right to me i i it's coming the same did you trail. grunt to him at all or he just was on a trail no he was just you? on a trail he was on the same trail was as he the, just searching for doe was he was he by himself i he was by himself there was a lot of crashing and chasing up above me uh, that morning. He might have been the one. Part of me thinks it might have been chasing that smaller buck out, and he was just falling along. But it was a heavily used trail. Once I got down and I saw it kind of was going away from me, but it was a pretty heavily used trail. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was coming right down that trail. I draw my bow back. He was 30 yard, right at 30 yards, draw my bow back. And I'm waiting, waiting, and he's not coming. And I look over my, my left shoulder, and he snuck behind some thick stuff and right at 10 yards. So I turned. He didn't see me. He was behind a big tree. I turned and uh, shot my first arrow. Well, me being the dummy that I am, <laughs> I try to sneak it through two big trees. Yeah, wasn't there like kind of a V in the tree yeah, or something? Yeah, there was a big V. It's a big oak tree, and there's a V right at the, basically right where my stand was. Back of the, the back of the arrow hits the tree, deflects off the other end of the tree, and drops right right below the buck. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I just screwed this up. <laughs> buck <laughs> runs back, in. must have had a death wish. Buck runs back to about thirty yards, knock my next arrow, shoot, rush, rush the crap out of this shot. Should have never taken this shot either. Shoot right over his back. I, I wasn't sure if I hit it or not because it kind of ducked like it did, yep. but I think it just ducked the arrow. Yeah, I heard the sound of the bow go off. Yep. Uh, it runs, and again, Death Wish runs, just circles around me, stays at 30 yards, just at a different angle, and I'm knock knock another arrow, which was my last arrow in the quiver. <laughs> That's one thing that I learned. I need to carry more than three arrows. Knock that last arrow and, and shoot and... I thought I had a pretty good shot on it, but it didn't act like it got okay. hit. Um, it, yeah, didn't you say it just walked off? Yeah, it it, sp- it ran maybe ten yards and stopped, and then just walked off. So I'm I'm pretty livid at this point. I'm I was going to say you were fuming yeah, at that point. I, I'm ready to hang my bow in the tree, get down, and call it a season after my second day out. Get down, find my broken arrow. Couldn't find my second arrow, but go down and find my third arrow, and and uh, I'm like wow it has blood on it and and it looks like pretty decent blood a little bit of hair and i'm looking looking and there's the blood trail and it's gets it's getting heavier and heavier and so i i stopped how far did you see him go when you shot like how far away could you see if you lost about 90 yards i think 80 90 yards it wasn't 
it uh it was up on a ridge so he kind of ducked underneath the ridge then there uh so it was it was i would say 75 to 100 yards Mm -hmm. um so i backed off my uh my dad was just kind of still hunting and walking through the woods at that point so i waited for him to get to my stand and he was coming from the opposite way okay he wasn't coming he didn't push the deer or anything he came the opposite way and we just followed the blood trail and and about a hundred yards later there there he laid so he went about 200 yards then okay um but i was pumped then i was real excited coyote buck my brother got a buck and that was his first bow buck as well first first buck up at camp as well and uh yeah so that was it was a short season for me but it was an exciting season in in regard to that it was it was like the year of the hennies and year of tail feathers man you guys uh you guys hammered them i mean you and your brother both got a buck um your uh your cousin shot a nice buck up there in rifle season um you guys came down to do the 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 gang hunt that we do at chipmunk and you uh your dad shot a beautiful buck that was a big mature deer and your uh, i guess that would be um your cousin's husband yeah. to be yeah Darren. yeah i just call him my cousin so yeah, he's your just cousin, my cousin too. he basically is he's family but he shot that beautiful bear yeah. in that drive so it was like the, the the year for you guys man yeah yeah no we were we we're excited about it and and uh we did my cousins they did a lot of hunting this year both up at camp and they were trying to hunt a big buck around home up yeah. in the mountains around home and so they i think that's what i was pumped this year to get out because we were seeing deer in the headed into the season august september like crazy both up at camp and or back home so i was i was itching to get out and just got lucky enough and to uh to get one early yeah you picked the timing right you picked a great timing that week the first week of november was was hopping i mean there was stuff moving everywhere that week but you know uh the uh you know you guys hunting the big deer at home or hunting it at private land or wherever you're at i mean I think that the thing we ask all the time is why is that one week or that one time so much better? And uh, for for me, it was that week you shot your buck. That was a week that I had seen so much action, and I know collaborating with a lot of other people, we saw the same thing. And um, you know, this past uh, this past week, I had the opportunity to chat with Bill Thompson. And for you guys who don't know who Bill is, Bill is the founder of Spartan Forge. And this is a, an, an app that he created. You know, he's a, he's a veteran, and he's taken artificial intelligence, um, his, his background, and he's taken that into the world of whitetails. And it's, it's been something that was uh, in the process last year, and now it's a, a full-blown um, app that you can, you can download and utilize, but it's, it's calibrating deer movement. You know, and it's, uh, he's really geared toward big woods hunting. I, I believe Bill is, uh, he's living in West Virginia at this moment, but he, he does some hunting in Pennsylvania. You know, he, he knows the mountain hunting and the stuff that, you know, you and I hunt in Northern Pennsylvania, but it's, it's relevant, you know, across the, the country. And, um, this was an episode for, for me that was kind of, it was a little bit selfish in a sense because I wanted to learn more about Spartan Forge. I wasn't familiar with what it was about. And, you know, if you guys have listened to this episode and you've listened to other episodes that Bill's done on other podcasts, um, you know, this is kind of going to be that B 
beginning level type thing for you. You know, it's probably going to be some stuff that you heard before, which is okay. But you know, for those of you who are listening and you're not familiar with Spartan Forge, it's a it's a really cool cool app. It's it's got fantastic um, aerial imagery. It's got all the things you would want out of an app um, in field and uh, the artificial intelligence stuff. So I'm not going to really talk about it much more than that. I'll, I'll let Bill kind of do the the talking on that, but. You know, he's uh, he's a mastermind behind something I think is going to be really exciting to use this year. Um, you know, we use uh, we use all kinds of technology now in the woods. I feel like we're always using our phones for something to collaborate, whether it's yeah, to set up drive It's down or, more than it's looking out sometimes for some people. I know that. <laughs> it's good for collaborating for stuff and, you know, keeping that keeping that information in your head or, or scouting or logging it. You know, I used to always write stuff in my my journal i kept a journal kept notes you know what i saw when i saw it and i just try to keep it on my phone just to have that information handy to reference spots but uh yeah you'll be able to do that so this was a, an exciting episode but i'm hoping it's something that we can use this year maybe it's something we can collaborate over in in hunting season maybe we'll even use it in during our our big uh day of driving hunts this year in rifle season but yeah so uh so I wanted to uh, wanted to let everybody get to know Robbie, and uh, you're going to be hearing a lot more Robbie, and we'll uh, we'll kick into this episode. This will be a longer episode, but uh, I think uh, I think we're on the right track for for something fun here on Pennsylvania Woodsman. So sit back, and we'll uh, we'll catch you around. See you guys. All right, so with me on the phone today, I have Bill from Spartan Forge. Bill, I didn't even catch your last name. Bill Thompson, is that right? Yeah, Thompson. Bill, Bill, thank you so much for joining us today on Woodsman Podcast. I can't appreciate uh, I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing us your knowledge here. Well, I appreciate you having me on. It's going to be here. So getting started, um, uh, this, this episode particularly is a selfish episode for me because um, I, I, it seems I've been living under a rock compared to a lot of the other people in the outdoor industry. And, uh, I, I'm a little bit behind the eight ball and knowing about Spartan forge, but I've been playing around with it a little bit. So just, can you tell me, first of all, how you got started with Spartan forge and can, just give us that backstory into the, the, the evolution of this, this program. Yeah, so it's a long story, and I always I'm struggling to. I need to have this thing written down, so I'm telling it the same way every time because I always go down different rabbit trails. But essentially, um, I was in the military for 21 years. I retired in November, and um, while I was in the military, I was uh, an intel officer, and my job was basically to do collection and analysis and intelligence information. Um, long story short, like to gloss over 21 years pretty quickly. Um, every time I was collecting information for a, like a, uh, a commander or to support some type of kinetic operation or an intelligence operation, I just realized that there was a lot of parallels, obviously hunting and, 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 and war, it's a targeting problem. You're, you're, you're trying to, uh, you know, get an effect on a target. I just realized as I was doing this work for the military, that there was, I also was an avid bow hunter and there was a lot of uh, parallels between the two. Um, when it comes to, you know, getting after an animal that doesn't want to be getting up, gotten after, or, you know, tracking a terrorist or, you know, for me, it was a terrorist. Now it looks like we're back in the cold war set of things, but, um, uh, 
So uh, what I started doing about seven years ago was collecting a lot of um, collared deer GPS data. Mm-hmm. I would just reach out to academics. Um, I collected, you know, a ton of collared deer data and just started to see if there was any uh, ability for me to train neural networks um, in recognizing pattern in deer behavior. This is There's similarities to other product projects that I did in the DOD um, where we're basically trying to draw patterns out of what otherwise looks like innocuous data. Um, and they, those were pretty successful. So I was pretty confident that, you know, whitetails have a evolved sense of, um, you know, they have patterned instincts that they've evolved in nature. And I wanted a machine to teach a machine those instincts and, and then present them for the hunter. So we started collecting this color GPS data. Um, I think we got our first real working model like two and a half years ago, or maybe two years ago. I'm forgetting my dates because the last year and a half has been just drinking from a fire hose. Hmm. But um, uh, we got our first product came out, I think a year and a half ago, I think, but it was just an artificial intelligence, just a website that you logged into that did deer data that predicted deer movement um, and presented some other ancillary um, information about the area that you are hunting in and, you know, that type of stuff. It was just kind of like a proof and concept um, and then from there, uh, I knew that I would have to present this data and there was other artificial intelligences that we're building now that we've been building for a while. We knew we were going to need a map to present some of these things and to make them make sense for the hunter. So less than a year ago, um, uh, we started making, a, a, myself, my other two co-founders, um, um, Vaughn and Jimmy started making a, uh, an application for the app store. And we um, had some uh, family tragedies that happened for two of us founders um, that kind of took us out of the development pipeline. We were trying to have something on the market in early October, but um, our, our, my co-founder's father died to COVID and then my mother passed and um, it just put our development timeline back. We weren't able to get the product out till November, but we got it out and we've, I've been really surprised with, you know, the amount of people, we didn't do any really real advertising or anything like that. I would say the majority of our downloads, you know, we're into the tens of thousands of downloads, paid downloads. And the majority of them, I would say, are word of mouth. Like it wasn't a ton of advertising. It was just like buddies telling their buddies. Um, and it's been overwhelmingly positive. positive. And so um, we have some more updates that I'm going to be pushing out here, you know, the time this podcast drops, it'll probably be out or be out in a couple of days. But yeah, we're really excited about the future. And that's kind of the, the, the history of me. Yeah, that's extremely exciting. Um, so first off, you know, when you look at this app and you compare it to other stuff, um, number one, I'm blown away by the simplicity of just maneuvering through the app and transitioning. And I'm also really blown away by the aerial imagery. Um you know, what's, uh, what's going on different here compared to something else that, you know, users might be used to using on an application? Well, I think the first thing is, you know, I developed a lot of these different types of mobile applications for the military while I was in. And um, most applications are not used for targeting. They're not used for, you know, a hunter. They're not, most of the, how can I say this? Most of the the user interface and the user experience that's been designed to date has been for like shopping. That's where a lot of the money goes and for things not inside of the targeting or the hunting community. But I think what a lot of these apps are doing, well, I think there's two things going on. 
I think they do a lot, all of their development overseas. Uh, I think that's the first thing, or the majority of their development gets done overseas because it's much cheaper. But then the second thing is, I don't think they're target-minded whenever they're doing this development. Um, so they're they're hiring people who've done, you know, you know, design for a shopping application or something like that. Okay. Um, and I think it makes the apps feel really clunky, especially when you're like, you know, you want to go hunting somewhere, you want to check out an area, you have to go and you have to find the imagery, you know, inside of the app for the area that you want. Or if the imagery is there supplied, then you're going and you're downloading the tiles for that state's ownership data. And then you're, you're then the tiles, you know, they don't load right or they load really clunky. Um, and then you just, you have pins that you throw on the map. And really all of these applications are dealing in commodity data. In other words, it's just anybody could do a mapping app right now. Anybody with any small inkling of developer experience could spend a couple of months reading and then put together an app. Um, I think what we tried to do different is kind of a few things, but the first things that come to mind right now are we're trying to make the app simple for people who aren't trying to get super deep into it and just want to use it for navigation, you know, weather, dropping pins, kind of like, you know, not your super serious types or technically inclined types that just want an application that's easy. So, in that way, we tried to make the app so there's a lot of like one finger functionality, I call it. So you can, there's like a compass on the top bottom of our map right. that gives you wind direction, it gives you your compass direction. You can access your tools from it. You can long hold on it and slew it to either side of the screen. Um, and you can also swipe on it to switch your maps. So right there, you have like 60 or so percent of the functionality of the application available with your thumb. So if you're sitting on stand and you don't want to move a lot, or if you're dragging a deer through the woods or you're carrying tree stands or a saw, you can get a lot of the app from your thumb. And then you can also access the wind from your thumb or the, the temperature, the, 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 the artificial intelligence, all of the weather stuff. Um, you can drop points or you can journal. All of that can, can, most of that can be done without having to take your other hand in your pocket or off of whatever you're doing. But then on top of that, if you do want to go deep on it, you know, there is a ton you can do from the drop downs in the weather to, to historical representations of wind to defining periods of time. You can look at wind across the U.S. and how that can be, how that can impact your hunt. And say you're scouting on a, on a ridge in December. Well, that's not the wind pattern that's going to be present maybe when you're there in October or November. So you can go back and you can look at those wind patterns. Um, we're coming up with some really cool updates on how that wind displays on the map um, that'll be coming out over the summer, um, how those how users can interact with those displays, but then also looking into, you know, higher quality, um, higher resolution um, mapping. Uh, there's more of those updates coming too, but that kind of that second thing, the second part of that statement is if you want to get really technical and really into the weeds, like we have this guy on our pro staff, we have two guys in our pro staff, um, Garrett Prawl uh, um, and Andy May. Like these guys go into an area and they know what the percentage of the wind is. They know what area it's coming out of. They know how the wind moves through the area. They know exactly how they're going to approach and the time they're going to approach. Like they've drilled it all the way down to the, you know, gnats behind on how they're going to handle this hunt. So for those guys, it's there. But then for the guys who just want to make it simple, it's also just an app where you can drop some pins and look at it. And there's nothing really complicated going on. So 
that that's kind of how we're trying to address the entire higher hunting market here is to make something that's simple but can also be very elegant if you want it to be without a doubt um so you know I, I'm, I'm going through the app right now as we speak and you've got a lot of you know quantitative and qualitative information here so I, i'm going to back up just a little bit and talk about some of the applications that <clears throat> I, I'm looking forward to using and hoping you can guide me a little bit through. So um, first of all, I hunt, I hunt two areas. I have a, a large private land acre uh, property that I hunt and, uh, you know, do a lot of typical food plots, whitetail, you know, property management, stuff like that. And I also do some large public land hunting. I uh, have uh, two areas in particular that in total encompass about 60,000 acres of, of uh, just monotonous mountain ground so you know sticking with the the private land first so there, there's a couple things that I'm, I'm looking at that i think is going to be beneficial number one you know using the journal um if i put a pin on a map that also is going to go into that journal and i can keep probably a diary of notes like say for food plot information just the same as i could for my hunting observation and scouting information but that's a little bit more organized when i'm making those pins did i understand you correctly yeah absolutely and and so having i'm a guy who's looked through a lot of that gps data like we're in excess of about two thousand years of colored gps data so there's and there's you know a market difference between like private land white tails and public land white tails and just kind of the size of their ranges and you know, when there's food present, you know, the, the ranges tend to get smaller versus when the food is dispersed in like a, a large mountain buck setting where they're traveling a lot more. But certainly with the journals, especially on places like private land, um, where you control the food sources and you have plots, you know, the journals can become really helpful because you can name a buck and just say, you know, lefty or whatever you want to call them. And then you can make journal entries for lefties, lefty either through the trail cameras with that data or your own observational data, or you're seeing with a spotting scope over a field, whatever it is. And then what you can do is you can go to the my content version of tab of the app, which is you know right on the right side there. Then you can find that, that under my content, there'll be a deer list. Then you just click lefty and you turn off all the other points. Then you can just look at that deer in time and see kind of where you see him traveling and what do you see him doing. Uh, and so that can be really helpful to the guy who's doing private land. Um, but also on the public side of the house as well, if you get into like a core area of like a two and a half or three and a half year old deer, you can write that in your journal. Um, and you can set a, well, right now you will, yes, you will be able to, by the time this podcast comes out, you'll be able to set reminders and say, Hey, look, I want to come back to this area when this is a three and a half, four and a half or five and a half year old deer. So you see that two and a half year old deer is bedded down. You can set a journal, you can take a picture of it, do whatever you want, and drop that pin on the ground and then say, remind me of this pin in two years or three years. Like, I, I want to come back here. I want to set up cameras or whatever. So um, there, it's, it's that journal piece is really, I think, you know, it's, it's underutilized. But then when I look at my pro staff and I look at how they use the app, it's one of their most used features. So when you talk about people who really kill big deer all the time, they're using that journal feature all the time. And I think probably just from my naive newness to this whole um, this whole application you guys have created, um, I'm not a, I'm not able to grasp all that that journal is able to encompass. So one of the questions I had is, are they using that and they're actually 
just manually documenting in when they have a trail camera image marked at a certain location, or are they actually loading in pictures to that app just the same? Or what does that look like for those applications and data management? Yeah, so in the future, we're improving that data management piece so that you will be able to do automated ingest of those types of things that we were just talking about. But yeah, some of our guys are actually taking photos, like they'll be going through an area and they might only have, you know, four or five photos of a target buck in like a two week camera poll or six week camera poll. So they'll take one or two of those pictures and they'll snap a picture and then they'll just throw it on the counter and say, you know, saw here on this date. And then what the journal does is it automatically pulls all of it. You, if you mark the time correctly, uh, on the journal entry, it'll pull the weather from that time series. And then you'll know that the times that that deer is showing up on that camera. That's also another thing that we see, like when I'm looking at the GPS data on mature bucks is they use certain ridges and certain places and certain fingers um, at certain times, depending on certain winds. So if you can pattern a deer down to saying, you know, that big, that larger bucks coming to the scrape line, and I'm looking at my journal entries and it seems to be on Northeastern winds, then that's kind of like, another piece of intel that you can bring to the table when you're trying to decide on when you're going to move in on that buck. So a lot of that intel, you can, you can, you can piece that information together with your journal. And then with the other parts of this application with Intel is how you're, you're dissecting that. Did I follow that correctly? Yep. Yep. And then, you know, once you have an idea of the other thing you can do too, or, or you'll be able to, you know, the other thing you can infer from that is, you know, am I putting, am I close to this deer's core area? Is this deer only coming out here on like these full range days that we predict in the artificial intelligence? We have like three different days that we predict. It's a core area day, meaning the deer are staying in their bed beds during daylight hours. The transition day means they might be moving a little bit out of their beds during like the last half hour of shooting light or something like that. And we have full range days, which say the deer could really be moving anywhere at any time. Um, and you know, it's, a, it's basically a better day, day to be in the woods or you know, the one analogy I always give people is if you're driving to work at like two 30 and you see a ton of deer in a field that you never see deer in, that would be a full range day for that deer herd. So right. when you start looking at that again, using the journal and those features, you can start nailing down, all right, this deer is also seeming to coming through these areas only on full range days, or maybe you're in it, you've got a, uh, you've got a camera in his bed and you're noticing that. It's, it's, it's happening when he's in his uh, core ranges. So yeah, there's a lot of data. Like I said, you can go really deep into this. Um, and what we've done is really centralized all of this data. So it's easy and you're not going to five or six, six different apps to, to get it done. And that's what's I think sets this apart. So can you dive a, dive a little bit more into the Intel? So you talked about it's uh, it's you've GPS de- uh, collected data and mm-hmm. it's, used into this to figure out kind of a movement pattern and an algorithm in that. Um, Now, specifically, when you look at the areas that you're hunting, so right now I'm hunting mostly in the eastern portion of Pennsylvania. Now, -hmm. the data that you've collected and used it, it, is it any, like, certain portion of the data is pulled from the northeast part of the country, or is it just a collective amount of GPS collar data from the entire country con- congested into one, or can you know elaborate a little bit more on that? Well, we have collar deer data from all over the U.S., so we have a lot of deer data from Pennsylvania. We have a, a spe- on the eastern part as well. We have a lot of deer data from Maine, New York, um, 
the Northeast and the Southeast right now is certainly where we have the majority of our data. We have a lot of data in the Midwest, but when you look at like volume, I'd say 60% of the data is from the Northeast and the Southeast. We have a ton of data from Texas, Oklahoma, um, North Dakota, Minnesota, Western, even up into Western Canada, into uh, um, Saskatchewan, Manitoba. Um, we've got data from all over the US, but the neural network um, infers patterns out of this data and can make predictions on future sets of movement based on weather patterns that is, are being predicted. So um, you, you can look at it. This is not the way it exactly works, but I, I think this serves as a useful analogy for people. The, the network might, might realize that across, you know, 600 years of deer data in this one area that, you know, when, when deer are located on a southeast slope of a hill and there's a wind change at noon, uh, the majority of deer will, you know, a drastic amount of deer will have a significant bed switch. In other words, they'll start the morning bedded for one wind, but if there's a, a drastic wind change, you'll see a lot of movement for deer adjusting beds based on the wind change, especially bucks. Wow, that's huge. The network will pick that up and then it'll look at like a a, a 12 hour period of weather. And then it'll tell the hunter, look, this is a full range day. It's not necessarily full range because they're out looking for food, but maybe there's going to be two significant wind shifts. And the data sees that two and a half to five and a half year old bucks will 100% change their beds during a significant wind switch in, in mountain terrain. So then you will be getting a full range prediction. So I'll get a lot of messages from guys who are like, you know, we had the coldest day of our year on a Tuesday and you're at, you, you guys predicted low activity or core area. It seemed to be right. But then we had our second warmest day of the year coming Friday. And that morning you had full range data saying that they're there. We're going to be moving more than anything. And so in my mind, that makes sense. If that, that say you had that cold weather and, and, you had a northeastern wind with that cold weather or northwestern wind, but then that warm weather front comes through um, and it's maybe it's going to change from 10 to noon. So at that point, you're going to have maybe a northwestern wind turning into a southern wind that you, you will I'll see in the GPS data when that happens that a lot of bucks will have um, they'll, they'll adjust their bedding. So they're moving more than they normally would have. Now, it's not due to evolutionary pressure from food. Um, it's just going to be a one-off piece of data, but then, you know, sure enough, those same guys will get back to me and say, yeah, absolutely. It, there was a lot of movement that morning. I saw a lot of movement from bucks that morning. Um, so it's important for what, what I'm trying to say with all of this is, is the network doesn't know what deer are. The neural networks don't know what deer are. The neural networks just has dots in the ground and it's trying to pattern the weather situations that cause the most amount of movement. Um, and then, a lot of people will also say like, well, I see like there's not a lot of variability in the movement. In other words, we might have like five core area days in a row or seven full range movement days in a row. And again, that's exactly what I see in the deer data. You know, you'll get these apps that are trying to predict movement for like, there's gonna be a really good movement at 7 p.m. on Monday. And it's like, that's just not what I see in the deer data whatsoever. Like when I'm actually looking at GPS points of deer moving, they don't all get up at the same time and move all at the same time. They don't all bed down at the same time. Like they're moving throughout the day. The, the key is, is if you were to follow them around with a ruler, are they moving more than they normally would? And that's what the machine is trying to pick up on. And 
in, in those cases where you're seeing like lots of the same movement patterns for days, that's generally because um, the there hasn't been favorable feeding conditions for whatever reason, say sporadic winds. Um, there, there are a lot of things that will lend to like if a buck is patterning a field to go out and eat in, but then there's been really erratic winds and he's not getting in there till late at night when he feels safe because the wind hasn't been um, conducive to movement. Maybe he spends two or three days not eating like he normally would, but then all of a sudden you get like a straight north wind for four days. And now he knows how to win that field and he feels comfortable going in that field. That's not a thing that the neural network will pick up on and say, okay, there hasn't been favorable feeding conditions. So now you can, uh, you can, you can expect for the next five days, there'll be really favorable feeding conditions. They'll be moving more often than they normally would because they have to get a certain amount of fat on their bones before the rut's before the rut starts. And especially for when the rut's over to carry on into that next year. So it also looks into those things, but um, I hope those are just kind of useful analogies on how the, the, the network works. It's, it, there's a ton of useful analogies there, and I'm, I'm going to give it with this aspect of how typical bow hunters are looking to kill deer. And generally speaking, I think there's there's three movements that guys are looking at when they're trying to successfully fill a buck tag. Um, I think it's a movement to food from a bedding to a feeding pattern. Um, I think it's an overall rut movement in a, in a chasing phase and the desire to breed. And then that, that one you were, you spent a lot of time on and it's what I would consider to be a bedding movement. And that bedding movement is something where it's not uh, a great deal, but deer feed, you know, four or five times throughout a the day, they're going to browse in their bedding area. But that wind switch pattern, which is something you'll, you'll hear so many guys, you know, some of the guys that are on your pro staff that are, you know, just fantastic bow hunters and, you know, are just stewards of the wind and dissecting the wind and how deer bed and are, are moving in those shifts. And that's a piece of information that you having on this app, I think is just bar none a step above everything else is giving somebody an advantage to be thinking about, okay, so if I spent this much time on these ridges and points scouting, and I know these are buck bedding areas based on the scouting I've done, the camera Intel I've done, it's, it's, it's like a piece of information that nobody's ever had up until this point. And I think that's bar like that. That's just something I'm so excited for to use this year. And we're not even past March. Right. Exactly. And, and it's, it's one of those things where, um, a, a human couldn't possibly learn these things. So when you're looking at these expert models where people are saying like, here's what I say, here's what I say deer are doing based on like the fields that I hunt in this area or the areas that I hunt, the maybe it's the big woods lots that I hunt. It's like, yeah, that you're, you're seeing, you know, a small fraction of the deer herd and maybe you're not even seeing every movement that's happening because either you're on your phone or you're distracted or you're not looking at the right place or maybe you know, you think you've noted that rutting behavior was low today, but you didn't know that they're actually running on the ridge over and you didn't see it. Like these are these expert generated models are just very difficult to rely on because what deer are doing in Iowa is not what deer are doing in Pennsylvania. And it's not what deer are doing in Florida, which is why we get the data from all those places so that the, neur the neural network can draw on the deer and its area, the area that you're queuing up for that, for that hunt. So, you know, if you're searching in Florida, you're getting data from deer in South Carolina, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, like all of those areas. And you're not getting a lot of weight from what deer are doing in Saskatchewan. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, and then the other part there too, is like, you're, you're right on. Um, 
when it comes to hunting, especially in public land settings, like a lot of times, if you want to get on these larger bucks, you need to be in their beds. And, you know, the bedding area, the consistent bedding areas for bucks could be in a two to three acre area. Um, and they might only be moving between, I think the average that I figured out last year and I was adding numbers up is somewhere between 200 and 400 yards in daylight. Some are as low as 70 yards in daylight. So what that, what that tells you is, is that you need to get within 200 yards. Once you figure out where that bedding area is, and and it actually leads me to another point. I'm not trying to chase rabbits here, but I was trying, trying to say this because I think some people are trying to get the, are getting the impression that we're trying to replace scouting. That is not at all the case. Like this doesn't do anything. What we should be able to do is make your scouting smarter. So you can spend less time away from home but you still have to go out and scout. You need to know where those bedding areas are. You need to know where those transition lines are. You need to know where those scrape lines are. You need to know where the food is. You need to know what that you need to be a steward of the deer woods and understand it. So that when you know, if you're hunting 160, 170 inch buck in public land, um, you know, my advice is scout, you know, between January and March, find out where those bedding areas are, um, where there's no snow, you know, try to look for those scrape lines and and get ready for that following season then wait wait for our ai to predict a full range day and then still hunt them in their beds like that's the best way to get it after one of those really you know unless you catch and shoot you know the one-off chance where they're cruising for a doe or something like that like that's really one of the best ways to get after them is understand the deer woods for that deer um and then wait for the the conditions to be perfect to move in and 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 wait for that full range prediction day um and uh the data that we see in the GPS data, but also what we're getting from hunters. Um, you know, if you look at our Instagram, I think we've posted at least three or four of them this year where guys were either harvesting their first massive deer or harvesting a deer that they've been chasing for years, but never been able to get on because the app allowed them to pay attention to those weather patterns, pay attention to what the predictions were then when they were seeing big deer on cameras and then waiting for those um, conditions to be present before they moved in to make the kill. Um, and they were successful, you know, and I, I've never in my life contacted a hunting company and said, you know, uh, your, your widget, your tool, your app, whatever you did, got it done for me. And, you know, thank you. But I think, you know, I think we were on the order of getting about 200 or so messages of those, that, like of that nature this year, where people were just saying they were getting in on their first big year for the first time in their life. And just like a thank you. So that really motivates me absolutely it should motivate you so hats off to you so one of the things that sparked interest in my mind uh based on what you were talking about there so you know here i am uh, i'm new to this i want to use it for this year and there's one deer in particular that i'm thinking about i just picked a shed up last week he was a deer that i think is going to probably be a dynamite stud this year so you know based on everything about you know, what we just talked about in the way Spartan Forge is set up. Do you think there's a way that I can utilize this app and gain some type of historical weather information now that I'm starting or is, or am I just moving forward, just trying to pay attention to what I see from the time I start using it and through, through hunting season, you know what I'm getting at with that, that time before, like go backtrack kind of deal and try to collect data. Yeah, so you can back, like, it's going to get easier to backtrack. We're going to be coming out with some features that will make it easier to backtrack and categorize these things. But for, like, now, you could take every, like, daylight picture picture you have of this buck or every, um, you know, or every picture that you have of this buck, 
you could go back into our diary. You could enter the ones that stick out to you. You could look at them in our map. You can look at the diary entries and take note of what the winds were when you saw that buck or when the camera buck was on camera. Um, and, and then you can start to extrapolate patterns out of that and say like, okay, I'm starting to see them generally in this area when it's a Southeast wind, or I'm starting to generally see them in this area. And yeah, the app can go back and pull that old weather. Um, and it's very, very, you know, that's another thing is we get from people a lot um, in messages is that the wind prediction and the um, predictions for the weather is the best they've ever had. And there's a really good reason for that. I, I won't get into it because I don't want to kind of reveal how we do weather because um, I'm afraid, you know, some other company might come sure, and try sure. to take it. But um, we, we really um, we spare no expense when it comes to our weather and how we populate and aggregate it and how our machines um, inform weather predictions. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. If you've got history with that deer, um, you could start popping that onto a map and then maybe, you know, using a hybrid view to kind of look at how those deer might be navigating the terrain um, and, and slipping past you in the past. Um, it certainly would be uh, something that I, I do and I know my, our pro staff does and, and uses it to great success. And I think that's probably going to be my starting point as I continue to to use this in a more in-depth feature because there's a lot of journaling that I already do, whether it's in a hand-drawn notebook or I'm just putting pins in an existing platform and I'm constantly going back. And the feature of having this all condensed into one thing, coupling it with this, um, this Intel portion that you have um, just blows me away. You know, we could probably talk about the the technical app portion thing. You know, how do you use this? How do you read this? And we could probably go on forever. But um, you shared with me earlier, and I'd like to give you the floor next on some exciting things that are coming up here in the near future for for some updates and stuff. So um, by the time this airs, um, those those updates are already going to occur. So. Um, share with those, you know, what's, what can people be expecting here in the near future? Yeah. So we, ha we have a lot of high def mapping um, imagery that we've purchased and um, we're working with, we actually contract companies to go out and get it. Um, we've been uh, uh, doing that now for about a year and uh, we will be, our first major imagery upgrade will be in probably less than two weeks. By the time this podcast comes out, it'll be out there, but essentially it'll be, um, you know, one centimeter data. So you, not only can you, you know, pick out the tree, you can, on, on a lot of my st tree stand sets, I can see my tree stand in the tree. Wow. Um, and you'll be able to really zoom in and really get close, but then it'll also be for all the high def imagery. Now I, I should preface this all in saying the imagery covers 80% of the population of the US, but it only covers about 40 to 45% of the land mass of the US. So right now we are flying like national forests um, and, and we're starting to get more of that like agricultural big woods settings imagery that's going in there. But there's still a lot of big woods imagery that's already in there and a lot of um, uh, national wildlife uh, or um, WMAs and uh, walk-in areas that surround cities where that imagery is there. And there's, you know, seven years of historical imagery in there as well. So you can get in there and it's pretty obvious to see on these maps where that high def imagery is. And you can go through a back catalog and look through the past seven years of imagery and get a really good understanding of, um, uh, of essentially, you know, what the, what the ground looks like. And then you'll be able to using what we call Lambda. Uh, it's just, a, it's just a map user interface where you can 
there's tons of different types of data you can put over top of it. So we have like forestry information, land ownership information, um, topography, you'll be able to, by the end of the summer, you'll be able to specify what contour interval you want on your topography layer. You can, you can put that over top of property and then you can put that over the high def imagery. And then you can go back in time and look at different pieces of imagery. And then once you stop interacting with that land, the map, that just becomes a layer that will be in one of your four swipes on the map. So on our map right now, in order to go through different imagery layers, you have to swipe. Um, and currently what people are doing is swiping to look at their agriculture, swiping to look at forestry, swiping to look at property ownership. Now this will all just be on one representation. So you customize that map, whether it's on our online web app or it's on the app itself, and then that'll be saved. And then that's just one of your quick swipe two maps in your area. That's real exciting. Um, it sparked another thought. I'm going to backtrack for just a second. So, um, you know, the other the other place that I hunt is a 60,000 acre, you know, public land state forest track in northern Pennsylvania, and I have uh, zero to no cell service. Um, now, this app has the functionality to do everything it needs to do in that in that case with a little bit of front work. Is that correct? Yeah. So you'll be able to download your imagery, but then also what the what the uh, app will do is it'll fetch the seven, the ten day weather forecast and all the historical information and all the intel and planning information and all the wind information for that area and make sure that all of that's available as well while you're in that in that offline status. That makes sense. That makes sense. So, Bill, again, I thank you so much for coming on Pennsylvania Woodsman here. And the last question I have for you is, um, you know, the next couple of weeks as I'm going to do scouting, I'm going to do my scouting um, with solely using Spartan Forge. Is there anything that stands out specifically that you'd recommend me tinker with or look at a little bit closer? Or is there any... It, Scouting pre-Spartan Forge, is there anything that you think you've done differently um, with this app in hand, I guess is the question I'd want to ask. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I do, and a couple of the pro staffers do it as well, is I go, so when you're in the application itself, and I've talked about this ad nauseum, but it's really important for hunters to understand, is I go to the areas on the map where I know I'm going to be hunting. Um, and what I'll do is I'll go to the Intel tab, and then once I'm in the Intel tab, I will go to the historical tab and then I'll get a windrose, um, which essentially the windrose is just a graphical representation of the wind. So there are spikes on the windrows that indicate the wind direction, but then there are colors on there that indicate the wind velocity. Mm -hmm. So what I'll do is I will go to that windrose and then I will click the calendar and then I'll click the month that I anticipate hunting there. And then that will change the windrose. So I'm looking at my area here in West Virginia um, and you know, if you, I'm looking at this windrows, I can show it to you. Almost all of my wind here is a southwest wind. So what I do is, is I automatically look for those hard to reach ridges and hard to reach areas that are leeward with a south wind, southwest wind. And then I look at the alternate winds, which is a west. The second most prevalent wind is a west northwest wind, and then a south wind. And then what I look for is I look for topography that like a finger that would that would allow a buck to take care of all of those winds in one area. So you might look for a ridge that has a finger coming off of it that will allow a buck to look off that um, ridge for all of those dominant winds. And I guarantee you that if you have topography in a public land setting that facilitates a buck 
to maintain his security posture with those three or four dominant wins, you're going to see sign there. You're going to see rubs. You're going to see that buck is spending his daylight time there. Instead of just going to the woods and just walking around, I kind of just use that wind historical wind feature that we just talked about. And I drill down to the month on when I anticipate being there. Then I go and look for that sign and I set up cameras surrounding that sign. And nine times out of 10, if you find topography and hard to reach public that facilitates a security bedding posture on the top three or four winds, it, there's going to be buck bedding in there. There's no question that there will be buck bedding in there. And generally, if it facilitates all of those winds, it's going to be the most dominant buck in the area because they that, that is really what being a dominant buck is all about. It's not about mating rights. It's not about having the biggest antlers. It's the gnarliest deer in those deer woods that wants to maintain a security posture. And he does that by fighting other bucks off, um, especially in the early season in October and November, um, by making sure that he's got the best security and the best access to the girls. Without a doubt. And I, uh, like I said, I'm real excited to play with this and see this firsthand in my scouting ventures, because uh, I think seeing something like this as a support in those those questions where you 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 battle with yourself you go to the scout and go why is this deer here why is he doing this when is he doing it and what things this is just another piece of the puzzle to try to help answer those questions and maybe formulate your next step and to camera placement and how you're going to access to to even kill that deer um, yeah. I'm, I'm super excited about this. And, uh, you know, one of the things that are a disadvantage for me right now is just my lack of experience, but I, I completely foresee myself bugging you a little bit more and maybe Go asking a little bit, a little bit more in depth questions in the future. I mean, I, I, not only will I interact with you, but I interact with all of our customers. In fact, I carve out time on my calendar. Um, to make sure that I go in and personally answer all of the messages from people that use the app and questions and features that people want to see. And I've got, you know, you know, 10, you know, tons of data where I'm going back and forth with people that I've never met in my life who are just excited about the application. And, you know, I build a lot of what these people ask for. So I'd say that to your followers as well. Like, go ahead and reach out on Instagram. Um, and then also our website is spartanforge.ai. There's a contact support um, email on there. They can contact me through there. There's good articles on there too that are being done by our pro staff that people can check out. Guys like Andy and Bo Martonic, who's yep. out near where you are. Yep. Um, you know, some of the best guys in the game. And uh, I really do believe our pro staff's the best in the game. Like between guys like the Seek One guys, Bo Martonic, John Stewart, who is the most underrated hunter in the world. Um, if, if, no, if you guys haven't listened to him talk, they need to find a podcast or I need to get him on your podcast because um, that guy's forgotten more about deer than I'll ever know. Um, John Stewart is a guy that if you would love to send me his information, I want to have John Stewart on whenever I possibly can. Absolutely. I'll get him on. I'll get him on the show. I'm scouting with him on Friday. I'll, met, I'll, I'll drop your name with him and, uh, and we'll go from there. But, you know, these guys provide input on the app, but then all of the, you know, the Seek One guys are amazing hunters. Levi Morgan, amazing hunter. He's also out in the Pennsylvania area. Yeah, we, we you know we have a Spartan Ford to get together here in about three weeks, um, where we're all renting a cabin in Pennsylvania, and we're going to be just sitting down and talking about the app and the features, and recording some content, and um, basically teeing up our development pipeline for next year. So um, I say that all to say. Your users, people who listen to you, I'm sorry, not users, but followers and people who listen to your podcast, 
certainly reach out through the app, reach out for the website. If they have an idea that they want to see me bring to light, um, I don't think you're going to get this kind of interaction from another company. The reason for that is, is they don't do their development or if they do do their, their own development, you know, the, the guy who runs the social media is not the guy who is writing the code. Um, that's not going to be the case in our company or nor will it ever be the case in our company. Um, so yeah, I spend a lot of time talking to everybody. And uh, like I said, I carve it out of my calendar. So people who reach out to us will hear back from me, especially if they address me in the questions. So uh, I look forward to hearing from everyone, including yourself. Good deal. And you you guys will, will all be able to um, get that information in the comments section below for this episode. And you'll also be able to get it on our Facebook page posts as well. Um, but we'll make sure to tag uh, tag Bill in that and we'll go from there. But I'm s- extremely excited about the future of this. And I really do think it's going to make some major differences in my hunting. Yeah. And uh, if you want, we can set up a code for your guys as listeners so I can give them 25% off and we can use a code for through your podcast. So um, if you got some you know people who listen to you a lot and they want to sign up, we can give them a pretty hefty discount um, on their on their first sign up. I think right now it's thirty nine ninety nine. You can get a 25% discount and you're getting all of the stuff that you're getting from the other apps, plus all the extra stuff you just we just talked about. So the property data is in there. All of the historical stuff is in there. The AI is in there. The high quality maps are in there. The journaling is in there. The Intel tab that we, you know, we didn't even talk about the other part, which is the actual Intel tab, which actually shows you like the buck doe to doe ratios in your area, the types of plants and foods that the deer eat in that area. All of that other stuff is in there on top of what you're getting for just the mapping. So, um, uh, and, and it's pretty economical since there's only a few guys, you know, we're, we're a company right now. We just hired our sixth guy. So, um, you know, we're small, but we're growing. Yeah, you're definitely growing. And I think you're growing in the right direction to the, to the crowd, to the crowd of people that are just, you know, just absolutely submerged in whitetail deer hunting. And, you know, this is a specific crowd you're looking at because Pennsylvania, especially is a state of really diverse landscape. We got a lot of hunters, we got a lot of bow hunters, but the, the type of terrain and the type of features that we discussed in this episode, uh, I mean, I think this is just a step above and I can think about the struggles I've had in learning to hunt the big woods. And uh, I, I just think it's, it's something that guys want. So guys check this out and uh, I'll, we'll, uh, we'll have to have Bill back on in a little bit more in-depth conversations about uh, maybe some experiences and, and everything else with, with everything going on Spartan Forge. Excellent. I appreciate your time tonight. Likewise, I uh, can't thank you enough, Bill. So, hey, you have a good night. You too. Thanks.